0: This week on page 180, it's Amanda. watch Quantum Mania week? So, we'll be going into the spoiler verse with my pal Dan Lineham to discuss that in depth. We'll have reviews of Marcel the with shoes on, somebody I used to know, and I'll also check in on season 2 of Your Honor. Plus, with The Mandalorian coming back next week, I'm going to call up my old pal Jerry for a breakdown of what to expect. All that and more still to come. Guys, we've got a stacked show this week, so we actually don't have time uh, for the part of the show where I usually come on and shite on for a few minutes about whatever topic is crossing my mind. So you're welcome for that. Uh, you've you've gotten lucky this week. You've got off the hook. Uh, before that, though, you'll notice I'm going to be doing a spoiler review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania. The only reason for this, and that's just pr- probably how I'm going to approach a lot of MCU-style blockbusters that warrant a full spoiler-filled discussion, for two different- for reasons one that's the kind of chat you want to have because it'll there'll be a lot of big picture thinking like what does this mean for the MCU and the bigger picture going forward and stuff like that but also I think it's going to be more useful for you because with the likes of the MCU I think you're either going to see them or you're not and I don't think a podcast is going to vary that very much Uh, you'd have your mind made up so I think it's more useful to kind of give fans who are going to see and want that level of discussion the the kind of deep dive that they're looking for Um, whereas people who have no interest just don't care and don't want to hear any more of it anyway for what it's worth though if anyone is on the fence and listening uh, my spoiler free thoughts are that I had a fun time overall but the movie was far from perfect and at times for me it didn't even feel like an Ant-Man movie Uh, I'll expand on why on into the spoiler verse later on but for now let's get on with the reviews that it will be doing for this week's new releases.
1: Whatever it is you want, the answer's no.
2: No, that's not any fun, is it? At least give me a shot. Now, I don't want to bore you with the mundanity of my caseload, but suffice it to say, your relationship with the Baxter family intrigues me.
0: I don't have a relationship with the Baxter family.
2: Michael, I am offering you a chance to help bring down the single greatest threat to New Orleans, to atone for what you have done, to help the world be a little bit better. Or you could do it for the same reason I do. I like chasing the bad guys.
0: I can't help you.
2: Let me worry about that.
0: Okay. Then I won't help you. We'll see. Ryan Cranston's Stevie, followed the Breaking Bad. Your Honor, returned to Paramount Plus a few weeks ago. So at the halfway stage, I figured it was time to check in. Season one followed Cranston's Michael Desiado's reaction after he discovered his son had been involved in a hit and run accident that left the son of notorious mob Bob Jimmy Baxter dead. Originally, Desiato, a judge who believes in like justice and the law, uh, wanted to turn his son in because that was the right thing to do. But when he realized that it was a mob boss's son that he killed and the consequences that may result from that, uh, he had a change of heart. It wasn't that was never going to be breaking bad, but it was fine. And the first series seemed to stretch out all potential sides of the, what would you do and who would you become to keep your child safe argument uh, with a satisfying conclusion that seemed to close out the story. I say seemed because here we are back at series two in a surprise that I definitely wasn't expecting um, to be watching series two of this show because this show, I was sure, ended at the end of series one quite well. It's kind of like when you say goodbye to someone and then you just walk in the same direction as them and you have to kind of just make awkward conversation and just be like, so uh, you got work this weekend? <laughs> That's what this is. All of the characters who survived series one are back. We meet a desolate Michael who's let himself go. He's got the beard, scraggy beard and hair and so on. Um, He's in prison now, uh, having confessed to manipulating a trial in season one involving Jimmy's son to let him go free. He's also a shell of his former self when a sister Recent U.S. attorney, Olivia Del Monte, who you hear played by Rosie Perez in the clip before this, arrives to offer him some uh, an opportunity to earn his freedom. And so we're thrust back into at home with the Baxters. Instead, Ziato can't seem to untangle himself from the drama of the crime lord's family. Uh, if that all seems really convoluted, that's because it is is it it is it's convoluted uh, there's a lot to be said for a limited series get in tell your story and most importantly let that story end and this premise was all dealt with in season 1 continuing now is like saying what if a chemistry teacher became broke bad and then began dealing drugs and then all of that plays out and in season 7 you turn around and say what if that same chemistry teacher went on to become a successful stockbroker in the New York Stock Exchange. And you're like, well, that's just a different show with the same lead actor. Uh, This is the same show in the same world. It just decided to linger on awkwardly after the story had ended and everyone had gone back to whatever normal was for them in the aftermath. And look, we're dealing with gangsters and criminals, so that normal is pretty dramatic and interesting. But still, so the question becomes, why am I still watching? And why am I likely to continue? Because it's not just for the review. I'm actually watching this show pretty regularly on a week-to-week basis. And put simply, the answer to that is the cast. Brian Cranston recently appeared on Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend podcast with Conan O'Brien, obviously, hence the name, where, while discussing Breaking Bad, he said, I'm confident that I can take writing up a grade, but if you give me C-level content, the most you're getting is a B. And, at least he wasn't directly referring to this when he was st- talking about it, but that's exactly what this show is. It's Brian Cranston being his excellent self, turning C-grade content into a B. The supporting cast are all stellar, too. You've got Michael Stolberg, who chewed scenery but was grossly underutilized on Boardwalk Empire. So you get to see him fully flex his muscles in a similar role as Jimmy Baxter, and that's really welcome. You've got Hope Davis, who gives a wildcard element as his unstable and dangerous wife, Gina. You've got Isaiah Whitlock Jr., as his typically charming if untrustworthy friend as Mayor Charlie Figaro. And that all remains consistent down the line. The cast is really, really good. And you kind of get the sense that that's Showtime's logic, too. If you could have all these great actors, why wouldn't you see what you can put together? And the end result would be at least kind of watchable. And if that's the theory, it actually works out. Yeah, that's true. The end result of this is it's a fine TV show. The plot itself, though, is fairly dreadful. It's threadbare. It's forced. You get the sense there's not a single stone these writers will leave unturned. If there's something that the character said as an offhand remark in episode two of season one, like, I like crunchy no cornflakes, there's going to be a stretched out crunchy no cornflake-themed plot uh, just to give these guys an excuse to get together and keep this train going, whether it's something we give a shit about or not. So... It's 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 an obstacle that you have to kind of get through if you want to see a good ensemble cast act the shit out of this role, which they for some reason really seem to care about. So if you're looking something for what to watch, this is definitely on TV. It's a show you can watch, and there's some positives to it. But if you were happy with how season one ended, and yes, it did end, uh, and want to leave it there, you're not really missing much, and you can do so in good in good heart. Hey. Hey, I tried to text you, but I guess you changed your number sometime in the last decade. <laughs> so here I am. Um, I just wanted to apologize for how things ended last night, or this morning, or whatever.
2: No, Ali, don't. Oh, no, don't want no, no. to.
0: I know I made it awkward, and I hate that because the night was so perfect. I haven't felt that free in—I don't even know how long. Just bring out that side of me, you know? And I was just kind of thinking about what you said about how I'm only here for a couple days, and, you know, what if it was more than a couple days?
1: Sean, honey. Mom, hey.
0: I. Ellie? Can- JoJo! Oh my goodness! I didn't know you were coming. You didn't tell me Allie was coming. Oh, no, 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 sorry. I didn't realize you guys were having a thing tonight. I will come back another time. Don't
2: be silly, come in. (laughs) I haven't seen you in about a million years. Mom, she was
0: just leaving. Somebody I used to know as the brainchild, of real-life married couple, Alison Brie and Dave Franco, having co-written together and Franco making his directorial debut while Brie takes the lead. Brie plays reality TV show host Ali, who's hitting a career dead end after her show is cancelled. She takes a much-needed break visiting home where she bumps into her ex-Sean, played by Jay Ellis. They rekindle some of the fire as Ali begins to wonder whether she'd made a mistake leaving home for the big city LA a few years ago. The only problem with this, she discovers painfully and awkwardly that Sean is engaged to be married. I watch this because I'm a huge fan of Alison Bree's work, having first seen her in Mad Men and then later in the likes of Community and Glow. So it brings me no joy to say that this movie is not good. It's not good at all. I hate to pigeonhole someone as talented as Bree as a character actor. She's not. Glow showed that she's perfectly capable of leaving, leading a successful and entertaining project uh, from the front. The problem is that Brie does need a little bit of friction or quirk to work with to really shine and stand out. That's what she does. And usually in the past, it's been along the lines of a high strung spoiled and melodramatic kind of character. Uh, so I respect her for trying to play slightly more reserved and homely here. But for me, Ali was just far too vanilla of a character for her to even be able to make it work. Because there's just nothing there in the source material to get to work with. This is also the case for me for Danny Pewdie, who has a community Union with Bree that drew myself and I imagine a lot of others in but similarly he's left with just a blank slate and has to overact to get anything from a pretty empty vessel of a character then on the other side of that you have Haley Joel Osmond who's just behaving like a child for some reason that's not funny it's not explained and it's not expanded upon in any way and he doesn't even see dead people so what are you doing here Haley? it's just rude you're just around you're just there None of the characters have any chemistry, and yet they play a tight-knit group who constantly try and banter and tell inside jokes without con- without any context. They're just walking around like, is he pussy And then they're like, oh, come And you're like, <laughs> "like they don't explain this. They don't give any context. The inside jokes aren't funny. So it's exactly like when you're hanging around with people who are saying inside jokes to each other that you don't understand and aren't funny. It's just annoying. Even Bree herself is like, these random quirks that are are like they're not likable they're not endearing like she has like a kind of poetry freestyle rap thing she does which is just really cringe it's it's not eight mile it's it's not even eight inches it's about eight centimeters because that's how tall i want to become watching this when i'm cringing so badly you're sitting there wondering while she's doing her. And then you're going to the shop. I wonder if you'll ever stop. She's doing this and you're just going, is this something that she does in real life that Dave Franco finds adorable? Because if so, it's it's not translating. This is not cute. It's just weird and cringe. And at times the movie just gets a bit desperate. Like there are times where characters just strip naked for no particular reason, other than nothing interesting was happening. I genuinely never in my life thought that I'd see Alison Bree naked. Like, if they even allowed list, if I was to put together like a list of my favorite celebrities who I fancy, there's a good chance Alison Bree's on there. And yet I saw her naked and I wasn't immediately delighted because this movie just made it so random. And like that's that's where we're at here. By the end, this is they somehow find a way to also make the main characters in it, the people the entire movie is focused on, not only devoid of any chemistry, but also just unlikable. Like, you don't want them to succeed or to get what they want. Either of them. There's not a side you're on. There's not a team you're on. You're like, I hate both of you. Kirsty Clemens Cassidy, who's Sean's fiance, is the only redeemable character in the love triangle. And you just want her to get away from these absolute messes. And I don't mean the character. I mean the actress. Run, Kirsty, Save your career. The only word I can use to describe this movie is cringy, and that is a damn shame. And look, it's not terminal for either Brie or Franco by any means. They both continue to be talented, they both continue to be likable, and I'm sure they're both going to continue to be successful. But maybe next time, don't assume that the entire world is in on your twee little humor and jokes, and try bringing us on the journey with you, and you might have more success. This is my bedroom. Uh, It's a bedroom, but I sleep on a piece of bread, so I
2: just. Well, oh,
0: I actually like the concept of having a dog. Oh, God, I can smell his face. But I just tie a hair to a piece of lint and I drag it around. I love you. Come and come, come, Sometimes people say that my head is too big for my body, and then I say, compared to what? Sometimes, if I don't have a way to itch my itch, the only thing I can do is I just stand there, I just let it get me, and I just, I just have to scream it out. Hey! Marcel The Shell With Shoes On is a feature adaptation comedy of a series of shorts created by Dean Fleischer-Camp, Jenny Slate and Nikki Paley. Slate and Fleischer also play the two leads. It's told in a mockumentary style following Marcel, who's unsurprisingly a talking shell with shoes on, hence the name, there isn't too much to that, and his grandmother Connie as well, as shot by amateur filmmaker Dean, who discovers them when he moves into an Airbnb. Marcel is charming, thoughtful, curious, loving and hilarious, and it isn't long before Dean and the rest of the world. Fall in love with him thanks to Dean posting some of Marcel's highlights on YouTube. Through gentle interactions unveiled as we discover the real world through Marcel's eyes, we begin to learn about he and Dean's backgrounds and the struggles that they faced in the past. This is a live-action stop-motion animation movie where the animated Marcel blends it seamlessly into the real world, and that really draws you in. You're never distracted or anything less than completely bought in and captivated throughout. And that also speaks to the banter and the rhythm of Fleischer and Slade as Dean and Marcel, uh, who, interestingly enough, were a couple and broke up throughout the process of this. And breaking up and moving on is a theme of the movie, and when you know that, it actually hits a bit more. They not only have to navigate scripted material, though, and a believable, offbeat, true-to-life documentary rhythm to fully immerse you but they also have to do that while also straddling the line between live action and animated which is an absolutely astounding feat how little you think of any of that while you're watching the movie just because you're bought into it through all throughout in case you can't tell i love love loved this movie and i recommend you change whatever plans you have immediately to see it it had me smiling ear to ear from start to finish i watched this in the lighthouse cinema which is about 75 percent capacity for the screening and uh, and having a nearly full screen made it a really fun time as we're all charmed to death by this movie in a way i can only compare it to the likes of pixar movies at their absolute peak And the laughter that was in it and the laughter that the movie evoked, I can only describe that as kind of giddy, as like childlike. And that's from adults. We're just sitting there giggling away the entire time. It is brilliant. It's a bit of a weird comparison, but Marcel is kind of like, and the humour that he has is kind of like the first time you ever watched Michael Cera, and that he kind of catches you off guard with incredible one-liners without even seeming like he's trying, it's just brilliant, there's a I won't ruin the joke, but there's one about like someone who signs off going uh, peace and love, and Marcel just riffs on that, and it's hilarious, everyone was just like in knots laughing by the end of it, and of course, all of that just conditions you for when the movie decides to take some left turns, and turns the emotional Screw And by that time, they then have you hook, line and sinker and you're ready and conditioned to go along with what they want. However, what I loved about this movie was that if you hear people talk about the likes of Coco and Inside Out, and for the record, Inside Out is one of my favorite all time movies. So when I'm comparing this favorably to it, take note of that for how much that I liked it. You hear people speak in almost traumatized terms at times, describing the movies as breaking them, for example. Marcel used on has no interest in breaking you. It's not a tough time to watch. It's not a difficult kind of hill you have to overcome to get to like a happy ending and so on. Fleischer looks the world dead in the eye with the script, so it doesn't avoid heavy topics either uh, with the script, the direction and the performances, but the vision this movie gives you is kind, it's of a gentle and of a hopeful world as well. Uh, despite this being a story about an inanimate object come to life in a shell, it's really about the universality of experience no matter who we are, no matter what we experience, and kind of the things that bring us closer together. And that's again what another aspect that makes the movie so positive and so likable. And what I find really interesting is that this was released here on the same weekend as Ant-Man Quantum Mania. And in much the same way that last year Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness was released at the same time, at least in Ireland, as Everything Everywhere All at Once. And those two then stood in contrast as well, this is what you can do in a multiverse movie. With Marcel de which you on, you kind of look at that and compare it to Ant-Man and you're like, actually, this is what you can do. This is how much you can do this well when you kind of shrink a character down to a certain size, you see the world through their eyes, which Ant-Man, for some reason, despite that being the character's premise, has no real interest in doing. This schools it. And again, it's an A24 project, absolutely schooling a Marvel project in what the Marvel project is going for. The one thing I will say, and again, this isn't nothing to do with the movie or like a, a crit it isn't a criticism of it in any way, is if you have young kids. They may find it a little bit boring if they're very young and they're kind of used to, you know, big, colorful lights flashing and and action all the time. Uh, It is PG rated, but it's focused on and going to hit hardest for adults. uh, And that's the kind of humor that they have here. But if you do have a child who's maybe a little bit older and you want to kind of have their taste palette broadened, again, it's a really easy watch. It's not a challenging movie by any means. But again, it's something where, you know, you have to have like kind of a good sense of humour and be like watching for it to kind of be like what's the point of this um, this is kind of a good safe soft landing entry point for movies to go somewhat against the grain like A24 movies to watch what the mainstream movies kids may normally watch and there was kids in the screen and who were laughing along the entire time so again it's a really funny easy watch uh, but again I'm just kind of thinking that, that some younger kids can be very like they need action they need kind of a big story a big arc to kind of overcome uh, whereas this is a bit more nuanced than that it's nominated, it's nominated for best animated feature in a stacked category against the Likes Gamer del Toro's Pinocchio, which is cleaning up, including this week at the BAFTAs, and Pixar is turning red. But for me, it'd be easily worth a win. Uh, I, I probably liked it more than those. Uh, and I really like those movies as well. But whatever the case, this is a truly great, great movie. I can see myself going back to it again and again whenever I need cheering up. Do yourself a favor and make it your business to see it. If you see any movie this week, I know it's probably going to be Ant-Man put Marcel to share with you on on your list please you're gonna love it I promise you now as I was saying there's a beautiful parcel available right down here by the flats I appreciate the offer but I have some matters to look after well I'm confused I thought you had completed your mission but you're still
1: running around here with the same little critter
2: it's complicated I completed
0: my quest. He returned to me. I removed my helmet, and now I'm an apostate.
1: Which is all the more reason for you to stay here with us.
0: Where you're from, you may be an apostate, but here you'd be landed gentry. Regular listeners to the show will know that if there's one thing we love on page 180, it's Pedro Pascal, minding a kid, going on adventures. That's what we love. That's the main thing we love. And, you know, we're not talking about The Last of Us this week because we wanted to take a detour. Obviously, look, it's a big week. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania coming out. Uh, But it's also a big week because... A week from now, when you're listening to this, it'll be time for another Pedro Pascal Minds a Kid show. The Mandalorian Season 3, when it left last time, it could be argued was the biggest show on the planet. But since then, a new Pedro Pascal show may have taken that championship belt. So he's coming to basically fight himself for the biggest show on the the planet. And that's going to be something that, you know, when we wrap up The Last of Us, we're going to be putting a big focus on uh, because I am a huge Star Wars fan. Um, And I love having these conversations. And whenever I kind of want to focus on Star Wars, whenever anything's going on, the Star Wars kind of universe, there's only one man for the job. And there's only one man that I ever turn to. um, And I want to get your... Uh, I want you guys To get the benefit Of his wisdom And expertise And and the interesting Chats that That, that I get to have I don't want to just uh, hoard them all to myself uh, It's an old friend You may know him From uh, If you're an old blows network listener He was the host Of the Talk Nerdy to Me Show on that uh, You may know him From his Twitch streams Which you can be found On there You may know him From various podcasts And various projects That he works around You may know him As from the world Of pro wrestling I know him just as Jerry Jerry Soul, you're very welcome uh, to discuss the Mandalorian. How are you, Jerry? Long time no speak.
2: I I'm great. Um, obviously off air, we were discussing how when was the last time we kind of did a show together and like that, and it's been so long mm. that I I'm starting to grow. Gray hairs, and you look exactly the same, you bastard. So, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, keep saying that for the people who listen, and then the people who are on YouTube, uh, they, they know you're lying. But I appreciate the flattery, it'll get you everywhere on this show, Jerry. We're in Mandalorian season, it's happening, it's finally oh. back. Uh, we got Mandalorian season 2.5 last year, but obviously yep. look where it's been, you know, it's been years since we did a show together, but it's been years since we've got a Mandalorian show as well. So uh, it feels like it's coming in a little bit under the radar uh, because maybe it's just, it, it's been that long, but how are you feeling? Are you hyped up for this or, or kind of, do you need a bit of, a bit of heating up? Now I'm sure that by the end of this conversation, we're both going to geek ourselves out and we're going to be there. Don't worry. But like, how are you feeling now coming into it with it, with it so close?
2: I, I'm feeling good because I, I a lot of my friends uh, and my fellow nerds, uh, they don't like watching trailers. They don't like having any type of spoiler whatsoever. Whereas yeah. I'm a, I'm the exact opposite, you know, um, like me and you, we've discussed Game of Thrones in the past. I absolutely destroyed the last uh, season for myself because I went on to different forums and I, oh, this was leaked and that was leaked and blah, blah, blah. So I try not to dive too much into it now, but I do still like watching trailers. And the trailers have gotten me so, so hyped. But it's also kind of gotten my creative juices flowing. It's like, what could potentially happen? You know, where is it going to go from here? Are we going to get another season after this? We don't actually know. We really don't know. We don't know if we're going to get season four or five or anything like that. Could we have a Mando movie? You know, whatnot. But when you see uh, the trailer and you see him and you see Grogu and then you see 50 million older Mandalorians, you're like, shit is about to go down. Yes, Like, this is not like the first two seasons. This is something completely different. But it, completely different in the sense that it's 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 different for live action. But we will have seen elements of this from the Clone Wars and, and stuff like that. And that's what's making me so excited for this. Because the, the first time we ever saw a Mandalorian, and we didn't even know he was a Mandalorian, was Boba Fett, and that was in, in Empire Strikes Back. So mm. it was this very mysterious guy in this armor, very distinctive helmet. Um, then we learned more about the lore of Mandalorians when we saw uh, Clone Wars, when, when Clone Wars came out. Mm. So it's a, it, it was so much more complicated than just a guy in, in, in a suit of armor. It was a f- whole society, but then there was different elements of society. Of course, of course you've got Death Watch. And Death Watch is where uh, the Mando or where uh, Din, Din Djarin came from. And it's a different type. It's like an offshoot from it as well. So, so many different elements to the Mandalorians themselves. You've got like what they would know, what they would be known as thoroughbred uh, Mandalorians, people actually born on Mandalore. Whereas Death Watch and and, and this kind of sect of Death Watch, they're all different. They're all different aliens. They're all from different planets. They were all born in different places, Uh, but they're still considered Mandalorian. Very exciting to see exactly where are going to go with this. Now obviously he's on his his personal journey now because it's not about finding grogu anymore it's not about protecting him it's about himself now. Mm-hmm. Because he knows because what we found out from from not from Boba Fett sorry from from Mando 2.5 as as you called it. <laughs> we found out that he's basically excommunicated. He's, he's you yeah. know you're you're done until you kind of do something to kind of get the faith back then then you're done. So it's a, a sense of this is a personal journey for him and he has to do this. But there's so many things that could potentially happen in this series. Like, you can look at the trailers and you can dissect them and on and, and whatever you want to do. But we really don't know that much. And I think that's, that's the exciting part. That That's where we can kind of discuss this freely
0: because... You know, this isn't so we're we're tracking kind of a point in Star Wars history and lore that we haven't learned much about. You know, we're in that period in between the first uh, the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. And again, we kind of know where things end up in terms of the grander scheme, but now we're kind of focusing this in on Mandalore specifically. And then even more specifically. So again, we've no idea where any of this ends up, like, even if you think of like, even if we're to zoom out to bigger picture, to bigger characters within the picture, Ahsoka Tano, like we we don't know what happens with her, you know what I mean? So again, if we don't know one of the most important Jedis of all time and how that story ends up, and we're going to learn that as well, like in the future, that's another project, which I imagine will be discussing quite a lot in the future. But if we don't know that, then we don't know anything here. So we can kind of discuss this freely, but let's kind of, you know, we're both very bought in and we love our Star Wars. Um, for someone who doesn't really know, you've touched on a bit of it there. If you could kind of give a brief kind of, you know, what what is Mandalore? What are the stakes? What are we kind of looking for in terms of here? Uh, and, and just some backstory for anyone who hasn't kind of maybe done the whole Clone Wars Rebels. The novels, kind of deep dives. Where what are we kind of looking at in terms? What's kind of the elevator pitch for what Mandalore is and what the stakes are for this?
2: Oh, it's a tough question because there's so much to Mandalore and the Mandalorians. Like you, yeah. you, you could go a deep, deep, deep dive and go back as far as the Old Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have been a, a player of the original game, Knights of the Old Republic, which came out in the early two thousands on the original mm-hmm. Xbox. And you learn so much more about the Mandalorians. So obviously the planet's Mandalore. They're called Mandalorians. The leader of the Mandalorians is Mandalore. And he could be Mandalore the Mighty, Mandalore the Punisher, Mandalore the Wise, something along those lines. They were all Mandalore. So Mandalore of Mandalore leading the Mandalorians. Now it's a bit of a tongue twister, but it's fine. (laughs) Uh, So you could go a proper deep dive into that. So basically these were back in about a thousand years before the events of star Wars, they were very much a warrior society, a very aggressive warrior society. They would invade places. They would, um, uh, they went to war with the Republic is what they did. They were kind of on the side of the Sith empire back in the day. So they were very much an aggressive uh, society, but during that time frame. Uh, they weren't wiped out, but they were defeated by the Republic. So they were kind of scattered in a way. Mandalore was still there. The leader of the Mandalorians, it would have had a new leader, but they were very much scattered. So uh, Mandalorians were used very much like Boba Fett is, mm. uh, like bounty hunters, uh, higher security, higher dunes, hit men, yeah. stuff like that, assassins, stuff like that. So, you know, that's all we ever thought of the Mandalorians before the Clone Wars came along. So we just thought of Boba Fett and the Mandalorians as as hired guns, assassins, um, bounty hunters, stuff like that. And then you actually find out that's not really the case at all. That's just a small amount of them. You have a proper society on Mandalore. They had, it was a queen, wasn't it? It was a queen.
0: Yeah, well, Duchess Satine uh, was kind of the first. So yeah, but yeah, you had a ruler and and Duchess Satine, obviously. Uh, Obi-Wan, Kenobi's old flame question mark you know well they, they did. they definitely, Def, definitely no they definitely no
2: question fucked.
0: mark there <laughs> he, had, he has a
2: he has a fucking son i'm sorry he has a son There's definitely yeah a son, yeah, yeah i too yeah i too <laughs> <laughs> that's a fucking fighter Jack. um the, the you look at the society and it's a very complex society because uh it, it's like any other world really in star wars you know they've got a government they've got a ruler they've got an army you know they've got Ordinary people who don't wear these mad uh, armor costumes, you know. But then you've got the the other elements that kind of, you know. When it comes to Star Wars, you've always always got a kind of good and the bad. So you've got the likes of death Watch and death Watch want to rule Mandalore, and um, they feel they 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 rightly should be the rulers of Mandalore, and and, and that's where the conflict comes from. And um, you've got a lot of. Uh, you get a lot of the backstory in the Clone Wars. And that's, the, I would I would suggest for anyone who, was, who was, has never watched the Clone Wars, watch the Clone Wars, because number one, it's one of the best um, shows out there. You know, people kind of look at it and go, I'm not watching a cartoon. You can't look at it like that. You can't look at it. It's just a cartoon. It's not just for kids. And it's yeah. really not. Because, you know, obviously a lot of it is kind of tailored to kids. Um, but the majority of that story, like people get outright murdered in that show. Yeah. You know, and that's not for kids, you know? So it, it, it follows on the lines of uh, what Lucas came up with in the, the original trilogy, the prequels, and and then obviously in, going into the sequels. Um, you get a lot of the backstory because th- there's not just one or two episodes. This is a whole running team in in the Clone Wars. Mm. You get a lot of information about, um, about the Mandalorians themselves. You get a lot of information about their their culture their society you do get a lot of death watch and i do like the death watch arc i think it's very very good um, you've so Death Watch, of-
0: if, if someone's never seen that So that's, they, if we watch the Mandalorian So Bo-Katan, for example uh, that That's kind of the main Mandalorian that we're seeing in, in the Mandalorian She would have came from Death Watch But that would have been a, a more terrorist kind of exactly. organization originally. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, so so, Bo-Katan was originally part of Death Watch And they were, as I say, they wanted to rule Mandalore And they were doing it like that in, in a terrorist way they wanted to, to basically go in, blow shit up and take over. So it, it, it was very much uh, like that, that aggressive thing. The Mandalorians themselves, the, the society, weren't this aggressive people that we'd seen a thousand years beforehand. They were not peaceful, but, they, you know, they're ready to defend themselves if need yeah. be. But um, uh, Death Watch and Bo-Katan, she was originally part of it. Uh, when Darth Maul then came along and took over, uh, from the original leader, which was Pre uh, Previsla was the leader of of, of uh, Death Watch. When um, uh, Dart Maul came along, he then. Became leader. I'm not going to go into any. T- I don't yeah, want to no, no. Well, you can watch the Clone there. Wars,
0: watch and we'll know, give you, we'll give you like know. what I'll do is I'll give you a breakdown of of the episodes. Like, because the Clone Wars is kind of like a historical text, so it's more like again, it's not necessarily a narrative show where you need to watch from start to finish. You, if you've never watched it for this purpose, you could actually dip into. It. So I've narrowed it down to specifically if you want to kind of follow the Mandalorian side of what is it one, two, three, four eight episodes you could watch in the Clone Wars and they're like half an hour tops. So again, like that's, you know, a few hours you could get watched. And then, you know, two episodes of Rebels as well. You want to, you definitely want to get those because that tells you yeah. kind of what happened Mandalore after and just to kind of set the stakes. So what's happening here, but looks things is we don't actually know what the state of Mandalore is. Again, we can presume a lot from having seen it get blown to bits, but the planet still exists What we hear is basically just stuff the characters have said. And again, what they've said is very, they're unreliable narrators in terms of that. They're they're saying like, they believe it's been abandoned. It's unlivable, it's uninhabitable and so on. But we hear contrasting stories. So Bo-Katan, for example, tends to believe, no, there may be something worth saving there. And essentially we're going to Mandalore. It looks like we're heading back to Mandalore and... At the moment, again, like you said, we discussed the Darksaber there. We obviously saw uh, Din Dinjarin win the Darksaber from Moff Gideon in the season two finale. Um, and now obviously Bogatan had that little side-eye glance where she's like, No, it's killed, cool. it's killed. Cool. Yeah, don't worry about it yet. Yeah, no, didn't really didn't really care about that da- dark saber. Is when like if you know anything about you know and if you do your binge on Mandalore, and even if you don't, all you need to know is she fucking loves the Dark Sabre. It is, it is her precious. Um, <laughs> and I think you know, there there, there is a te- like again when we meet Bogotan she is she's a terrorist in Death Watch. It's not until really towards the end of Clone Wars that she actually turns around and kind of you know, it's you know, she actually turns good, and even then it's more. I won't get into the plot if you want to watch it fresh, but it's more because the enemy, the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend rather than her actually being a good person. So we've never actually seen her be a good person, she's quite power-hungry, she's she can be a psychopath, she can be a murderer. Um, but now she is technically an ally. With Mando and Grogu But again not someone that you necessarily trust And Mando has something that she very much wants So again that's the stakes at play here What do you think? You said you've got some ideas We will stick with kind of Dean And then we can kind of discuss Grogu What do you think is, is at play here?
2: With, with regards to him What he was told by the Armour was He would need to like basically make a penance He would, he would He would need to do it But there was only one place he could do it and that's why we're centralizing now about Mandalore, because he's going to go on this journey to basically get forgiveness from, from Death Watch and to be able to be named as a Mandalorian again. But I feel that uh, you look at the trailers and you look at um, the amount of different Mandalorians in it. It's not just Death Watch now. You've got so many different types of armor, you've got so many different people then. But I think by the end of it, and I think, you know. Pedro Pascal, he he does like playing the role, Hmm. but he has not always liked wearing the helmet. And he has said that multiple times. He doesn't like, because let's be honest, he's a a beautiful looking man. And to constantly keep him in that helmet is fucking blasphemy. It really is. It's blasphemy. So I think what we're going to do is he is going to do this personal journey and he's going to get to the end of it and he will fulfill whatever he needs to do. But I think his eyes will be opened by the end of this series. And I think he'd be like, I'm a Mandalorian. But he's going to take the helmet off. And obviously not permanently because, you know, it's it's his armor. Yeah. But but I just feel that it, he will go on this personal journey. He will do whatever he needs to do to basically get forgiveness from the debt from debt watch. But I think by the end of the show, by the end of the series, it's it's a thing where. Um, it, it's it's going to be him kind of realizing this isn't who I am. This isn't exactly what what I need to do. Like, you know, I, I he could be very well the leader. He could be Mandalore by the end of this, you know. It, it could be that he does actually take up the mantle. He could become the leader of whatever the Mandalorians are left, you know. So it's a thing where I think by the end of it, he'll take the helmet off and he won't actually be part of um. Death Watch and, and this kind of cult that Bo because Bo Katan calls it a cult. It's not a thing where um, this is just an offshoot. This is very much a cult that, you know, you cannot take your helmet off. You cannot have yeah. your face be seen. It, it's not allowed. And you're gone if you, if you do. You know, we didn't see that in any other part of Star Wars, in any game, in any book, in any show. It's not a thing. I want to know where did this offshoot come from? I want to know cuz cuz I feel I feel the armor has a bigger backstory mm-hmm. than we think. Yeah. And I think there's something there. You know, it, I'm not going to speculate as to who the armor could potentially be. But there's yeah. something to do with the armor. There's something there because yeah. we've seen her multiple times now. It's not just she was in the, the couple of episodes and that she's gone. She's come back and now she said, "No, no, you no, no, you took your helmet off. Fuck you. You're gone." Oh Well I tell you what If you want to come back You have to go And you have to go To to Mandalore A place Mm. that is abandoned And unlivable And you know It's shit Yeah So Interesting It's going to be very interesting To see exactly where it goes But I just feel He is going to have A turnaround By the end of the series And The helmet will come off And We'll go from there But that's just my opinion
0: Okay I agree I think we're going to get I think that's what this season's going to be. We're going to get all of those kind of. That's all going to come out in the wash. Uh, now, again, you could. There's a lot there. You could stretch that out until two, three seasons if they wanted to stretch to show out. But I think we're going to get a meaty season with a lot of that lore discovered, which is interesting because when we left season two, and even as we headed into Book of Boba Fett, we thought the story of season three was going to be. We knew this was on the horizon because they'd set it up perfectly. But also, as well, when we left season two. You know, obviously, Dean and Grogu had had their parting of the ways. Grogu was going to go off to, to Luke uh, and get trained in the Jedi waves. Uh, we saw Luke basically worst babysitter ever. Um, you know, he, he just had no patience <laughs> for he's like either no head to be an amazing Jedi now or I'm giving you back. And that was it. And then all of a sudden Grogu is is back with Dean in, in Book of Boba Fett did that remove a lot because for me, that was such a perfect ending and a perfect moment. And then there was the question of, can you break these two up? These are an amazing pair. And then obviously they just reunited them in a show that wasn't even about them. And we kind of weren't expecting. Now don't get me wrong. Those episodes, as we call it season 2.5 of the Mandalorian, the the back half of book of Boba Fett, they were amazing. Um, so don't get me wrong. It wasn't as if it was wasted or it was bad TV. But did that remove a lot of the intrigue? We're coming into this very low key now. Again, and we're taping a good bit out. Maybe in the few days of the week beforehand, the marketing will ramp up and the excitement will ramp up. We don't know. But do, do you think that that's why there's maybe not a lot of talk about this? Because they kind of took away that that
2: mystery and that hook that we had? I, I think so. I, I think if you look at the last, if you took at the last episode when Luke comes in, the dark troopers and whatnot and he takes Grogu away you know obviously there was a plan in place and I genuinely believe they saw the fan reaction to that and went oh fuck no we can't do this <laughs> because I think the fan reaction at the time was Grogu's gone Oh well, no Grogu can't be gone and he's back nearly immediately yeah, he, he's back yeah. even before the third season yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a thing where they I think, you know, Dave Filoni and John Favreau, they had this idea because um Filoni's fantastic when it comes to to um Star Wars lore and look at the Clone Wars, look at what he did there. And then Favreau, he has the kind of the, the same brain that Kevin Feige had and the kind of vision to go, right, we we're, we're going to have an A B C and D here. And this is where we're going to go. It's not like the DC universe where it's so fucking chaotic and everything's all over the place. Kevin Feige had this idea of we're going to do phases one, two, three, four, five, six, and then beyond. And I think that's where um, Favreau kind of went, right, we have this plan for, for one, two seasons one, two, and three. But I think come the end of season two, you're like, we have to change this because we have to bring Grogu back. Because it was a sense of fans wanted Grogu because they absolutely loved him. But then Disney were like, no 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 no. We we want our cash cow. Yeah. We want all the money. Bring the little green fucker back. <laughs> and and that's what it was. But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because we very first episode of the very first season you, you we find Mando and he's a bounty hunter and he finds baby Yoda. Cuz that's what he was known as. He was a grogu. He was baby Yoda. That's what he was. And we instantly fell in love with this kind of father-son gimmick. And we did. And going from that, from season to season, we wanted to continue to see it, but we want a bigger story now. And I think what happened when, at the end of season two, they realized they'd made their mistake. They had to include that then in Book of Boba Affair. It definitely took the shine away from Boba himself. Um, I look. I like Bob. I like the book of Boba Fett. Don't get me wrong, I do. Was it brilliant? No, I don't think it was. Uh, it was very. I like the part where it became the Mandalorian. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's it. I like where they're like I, and I love the fact that like, they made this show before they got the fan reaction but in the middle of it they're just like yeah this isn't working okay we're the Mandalorian now and it's like okay I really like that show so I'm okay with this <laughs> yeah.
2: but I def- I definitely think because uh, come the end of Book of Boba Fett obviously we, we then had Mando reunited with Grogu uh, Luke was going off to build his temple we all know how that went uh, Ahsoka was going off to do her searching for Ezra and Tron and whatnot, which I can't fucking wait for. I think that's gonna be epic. But I think when it came down to the final episode, and it was the final it was all about fan reaction. And Book Boba Fett wasn't really well received. So I think. They're looking at that go, like Disney executives, and I'm we need to be careful with this now. We can't go too crazy on it. So you now we haven't seen much of a hype, which I've t- I do find strange personally, because it's been one of Disney Plus's or has been Disney Plus's number one show. It was the show that launched time. Disney Plus. Exactly. So we haven't seen many much fanfare, and I'm like, are they starting to lose fate? You know. A lot of the Disney Plus Star Wars shows have been very mixed reactions. Now I've loved I loved Obi-Wan. Um I loved Andor. Andor oh, is next absolutely level. Go- next level. Uh, Unbelievable. Can't wait for the next series because we are getting another series. I love oh, yeah. Andor. um so I'm like <sighs> Are we starting to see their fate in the Mandalorian dip? And I'm really hoping not because it's been such a fantastic show. It's been, you know, it's been Star Wars without it being two Star Wars. Mm. I think the inclusion of of Luke Skywalker for one episode was more than enough. Yeah. You didn't need any more than that. A that yeah. few minutes of Luke Skywalker was fine. To follow something else in the Star Wars universe that's not a Jedi. Yes. Yeah. You give me that all day long.
0: I think um, I like. I don't think they've lost faith in the Mandalorian because it hasn't done anything to. And if anything, the fact that they turned the, the book of Boba Fett into the Mandalorian and everyone's like, "That's the show we want. We love that show." I, I don't think they've lost any faith. I think they just have whereas they had all their Star Wars eggs in the Mandalorian basket for a while, I think now they've just spread their options. So again, they have Andor, they have Ahsoka again, Obi-Wan is something that in theory, they could go back there. There's loads they could use if they want, they could, they could have a solo sequel and release that as a TV show as well. People want it. So like, why not? So again, I just think that it's not the main priority, whereas it once was, I think that may be, but I think by the time it starts airing again, we'll be fine like and, and, and I'm not kind of worried it is interesting though because like we're going from that Andor style of storytelling which is very fresh very new for Star Wars and we're going back into what originally before Andor we thought was the peak that we could get in the Filoni and Faberverse there's nothing wrong with what they do but they're very cameo heavy they're very they will get into the kind of fan pleasing moments which Tony Gilroy says he's not doing mainly because he doesn't give a shit about Star Wars <laughs> which is what makes Andor so fresh, because it's just he, he's writing his old show, it's just set in the Star Wars universe um, but we are getting back into that who do you think we could see? because we know we are getting cameos, we got in Book of Boba Fett, we got Luke Skywalker and Ahsoka Tano hanging out, just because they could, and it was amazing, Um, who do you think we, we could get?
2: Let's name some names oh... Well, obviously, we are going to get people that we've seen before. Obviously, mm-hmm. so we're, we're obviously we've, we've got Mando. You're going to have Bo-Katan and her kind of little makeshift army. Um, we, we are getting the armor back, and I definitely feel. I just I don't know. why I, I keep coming back to this, but I definitely feel the armor. There's something more to the armor that meets the eye. She could be a character that we know. She could be a a, a character that okay, we don't know, but is actually quite significant, quite important. I just don't know. I don't want to. Could that wanna... be Obi Two? <laughs> could she be Satine's wife? She's Satine. I'm just saying. It's possible. What, it's possible. Like she could be a relative or you know something there. Yeah. Um, I personally, what I don't want to see, I don't want to see any uh, Jedi. I don't because the mm. show doesn't need them. Okay. You know, when you've got an Ahsoka show, it's all about a Jedi. When you've got Obi wan it's all about a Jedi. I want you know Andor zero Jedi, mm. and it was fucking brilliant. It worked. You yeah. know, it it was the start of a rebellion. It was a, a, a nice, new imperial freshness for me because I love the empire, and it it was it was great. It was nice and fresh and different. Yeah, it was a different start. It was like it was like looking at a longer version of Rogue One. That's what yeah. it felt like to me yeah. because Rogue One no Jedi. I'm like, this is what I've, I'm craving. This. Yeah. So I'm hoping that we don't get any Jedi in it. Potentially, people to see. Oh, now. Um, there's oh, it's a tough one to it, it's a tough one because okay. we're at a point in time where um it's after uh Return Jedi, could we potentially see someone like Han Solo? I don't know. I don't know what I'd want to honor. You know, could the we... aged
0: Harrison Ford? We'd have to get as well. Like yeah, it's 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 yeah. a thing
2: where I don't I I I don't yeah. know. I what I'd like I'd like to see more uh, new Republic stuff because yeah. um, we've we've not seen all we've seen is is two two X wing guys yeah. you know and in one of the trailers we do see that X wing pilot it's not the Filoni pilot it's the other guy yeah, yeah. Uh, we do see him in the trailer and for me I was like I'd like to see a little bit more kind of inclusion of of the new Republic because I do want to know more about where they went from. Return of the Jedi to being, be, being being no more in yeah. uh, the Force Awakens because yeah. that was it. Like come the Force Awakens, the New Republic was gone wiped out in in yeah. a single shot, which was stupid because you you
0: know. But well, again, it, a, it gives it leaves it leaves a rampway. It gives them yeah. a story to tell. There's something there. Yeah. I I'm gonna. Agree with you, but also slightly disagree with you and maybe change your mind a little bit. I don't want, I'm going to agree with you in saying I don't want to see this story be Jedi focused in any way. I agree with you totally in that. I want it to be about Mandalorians in Mandalore and stuff like that as well. However, Grogu has an arc still left to tell. So I think we will see some Jedi in this. I think we're going to see a cameo or two. um, And I think this is going to change your mind. Okay, go on. One thing we've never seen from Grogu and and we absolutely have to see at some stage is how he escaped from the Jedi Temple in Order 66. I think we're going to see that. Also of interest is very recently, they had Hayden Christensen and Obi-Wan Kenobi shoot some scenes in Coruscant for the Obi-Wan show. And potentially they could have been like, well, we have you. <laughs> could we park a Brinks truck up to your driveway and just get you to do one or two I'm not saying all of them, but I'm saying we could potentially. We have seen a flashback, a brief flashback of Brogu in order sixty six. he was there. Hayden Christensen was there. Hayden Christensen is now welcome back into the Star Wars family. he has recently shot a Star Wars show. he's available and interested. I'm just saying, we may see him, um, I, I, and again in flashback form. I don't think we're gonna. Obviously, we won't see him like as a, as a part of the show. He's he's not around anymore. But I'm just saying that's that's, that's that is a play. distinct
2: that's a distinct possibility because, as you say, there were there, those flashbacks in Obi One, yeah. uh, where they were in the temple and. Um, it was the Order 66. The clones were there, which looked fantastic. Physical clones, yeah. not fucking CGI. Physical clones. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, I, I I, like the fact that we could potentially get something like that. Um, I don't necessarily think that the Grogu stuff is going to be heavily Jedi-centric. For the simple fact is, he has left that behind. He's made he a choice. He, yeah. he was given a choice. He could have had Yoda's fucking lightsaber. But he didn't want it. Yeah. He was like, Do you want to be a Jedi or do you want to go with your dad? Mm. Essentially. Yeah. So, what I'd like to see is I'd I'd like 100% agree. I would love to see exactly how he escaped, or should I say, who helped him escape? Yeah. It's not necessarily about how he escaped, it's about who helped him. And that is the very interesting part. Yeah. Because who potentially at this point in time, could be alive that helped them. And we, and we just we just don't know. It could be a Jedi we know, it could be a Jedi we don't know.
0: Are we May going not be a Jedi?
2: It could be, it could be,
0: it could be, be, have uh, been like it could be, could be fucking Rex. Well, no, it wouldn't have been Rex, he, he was busy, but it could have been, you know, it could have been okay. Look, we are going to discuss so, like, again, for Spotify listeners, if you're listening to the podcast, okay, we're gonna wrap up shortly on this. Um, but what we're gonna do as well is we also have a page 180 pod YouTube channel. Um, we do want to discuss, and we're kind of getting into it, the Bad Batch season two. We also want to discuss Jedi Survivor, okay? We don't do these catch ups and halves, we do it for real. So if you want to kind of if you want to listen to them um, you can just check out the YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, just keep watching. Uh, you see that obviously, look, there's a lot left in the video <laughs> however long that'll be um, but again, uh, we are going to wrap it up. But I do, before we wrap up this Spotify portion of this discussion I do uh, and the Mandalorian preview, I do want to get your thoughts on this best Mandalorian moment and you can't include Luke Skywalker's comeback because again, that might be The consensus moment For a lot of people Or if you had to do a vote I'd say it win Fairly clearly But outside of that moment What's your What's the best moment They've had in this show So far for you Now are we including 2.5 we can include two
2: point five, okay. yeah. So, now, I, like I, that is the Mandalorian. I don't think his best moment was in that, but I just want to know if we were including it. Right. Oh, it uh, I, I personally wouldn't say that the Luke moment was the best moment of the right. Mandalorian. It would be a great moment in the Mandalorian, but in in terms of the Mandalorian himself, Din Djarin wasn't his best moment. It was mm-hmm. Grogu, maybe one of Grogu's best moments, or Luke Skywalker's best moments, and whatnot. Uh, I think for me, there the, there would be kind of two two episodes where I go. That you know, that was like, this is exactly what we were looking for from the Mandalorian. So you look at the very last episode of season one, mm. when he goes back and he and he basically he's he's, he's going to rescue Grogu. That's what he's, what he's doing. So when he goes in, you know, he he meets the armor again. Obviously, he gets the jetpack. So when he has that fight, when when he's kind of trying to leave, and he has that fight with all the the um the Imperials, and just fucking epic, epic showdown Then you've got the stuff on the lava And uh, the uh, Oh, uh, IG IG8? Right? Yes
0: oh, That oh my was God.
2: heartbreaking But oh. I think one of the best parts Of that was, you've got Moff Gideon In a fucking TIE fighter And he's yes. like, I got this lads <laughs> And he just flies off That to me was absolutely Fantastic, absolutely yeah. loved it But I think he Din Jaron, in terms of how good he is, was the episode? I, uh, uh, it was, it was a, it was a prison. And we're,
0: gonna say, we're yeah. gonna say the same one. We're gonna say the same one.
2: It was, it was when he went to the prison, and he's with yes. all you know, he's with the guy with the horns, and he's with that guy who's the comedian. I can never remember his name. Chapter
0: six, the prisoner. Um, you have they're saving uh, Quinn. And Bill Burr is the comedian. Um, what's his name again? I forget. It'll
2: come to me. But for me, that episode, that was that was top tier. Dinger and top tier Mandalorian from start to finish. That episode had me hooked. If you had to make if you had extended, extended that episode and made it into a movie, it would have been oh. the best fucking Star Wars movies ever made. Absolutely fantastic. The best was, uh, moment in that was where you have the red light. And then
0: you have that going out. And then in the background, you just see Din getting closer behind uh, behind them and just creeping up on them. Yeah. In terms of power scaling, like that that Din is badass and like Jedi-like. um, Yeah. No, for me, that's the exact same pick. Migs Mayfield is the character. Also a good shout is the, the season two episode where they break him out of prison. Mm-hmm. And he kind of comes good as well. Like he'll kind of yeah. turn around. The tension where they're in the Imperial camp and they're just sitting there and you're like, he's about to get, and then like Dean has to take off the helmet uh, and like everything. there, amazing. Incredible. Incredible. That, stuff.
2: that moment, that scene when it's Mayfield, is it Mayfield? Is Makes Mayfield. Makes Mayfield. When he's sitting down and he's across, <sighs> he's across from the Imperial uh, officer and they're talking about um, Operation uh, mm, Cinder. They're talking about Operation Cinder. And just to me, I didn't realize Bill Burr was as good as he was, but my God, the acting chops in this one two minute scene was fucking phenomenal. Yes, absolutely phenomenal. And then how they ended that scene was he shoots him. The two of them just look at each other. Fuck it. let <laughs> start shooting the shit up. It was so good. <laughs> oh, so, so good. Amazing. Bill Burr, we need to see. Right, there you go. Yeah, he will. He needs to be in Season 3 He'll be back He'll be back yeah. He's 100% back. He's too Definitely. good not to um,
0: Okay well look We're going to wrap that up We got there Look I'm really hyped Just talking about great moments I'm hyped I'm back <laughs> There we go I'm in uh, I hope you guys are too For the Spotify listeners We're wrapping this up If you want more We're going to be discussing The Bad Bad Season 2 so far And Jedi Survivor And kind of speculating around that We're going to be talking about that On the Page 180 pod YouTube uh, Jerry thanks for joining us Um, uh, for, for those who are tapping out now Um, But yeah we'll, we'll continue this conversation throughout uh, Once the last of us ends We're going to check back in And we're going to keep The Pedro Pascal party going
1: You know I promised your mom That you would only use this stuff When one of us was around It's really dangerous tech I know it's dangerous What if the cops took it from you huh? What if you lost it I didn't lose the suit You have a suit? Wait you have a suit? I know how to take care of myself Okay trust me I'm pretty good at it by now Ouch I didn't mean it like that. I'm sorry. It's
2: okay. It's all right. I get it. I just think you should get to have a normal life.
1: Dad, a guy dressed like a bee tried to kill me in my room when I was six. I've never had a normal life. How about some music? And in that moment, all I could think was how did the Hulk turn me into a baby? Will I be a baby forever? Am I the Hulk's baby? Dad, are you listening to your own book?
0: But I was ready for
2: anything. Hmm? No, that's, uh, Steve this and I is the radio. over there.
1: <laughs> turn
2: it It's off. so weird. Something's wrong with this switch. It won't turn it off. I said
1: turn it off.
2: What's that? Turn it up? All right. A little after that, a raccoon from space showed up. I don't think he knew my name. I was just happy to meet a raccoon who could talk.
0: All right, it is time. The first MCU Phase 5 movie uh, and the first Marvel movie that we get a chance to talk about here on page 180 and uh, I wasn't able to do this alone because Marvel movies are such a big deal these days. So who did I do? I went into my Rolodex and I I pulled out the best man for the job. So what I did was I enrolled the help to talk me through uh, this and hopefully future Marvel movies Uh, the guy I know who I will go to for these kind of conversations Uh, it is not only an amazingly incredibly talented artist He is also a Marvel superfan A comic book in general superfan At one stage of his life You may have known him in a previous life As the heretic Red Vinny But we know him as Dan Lynham today And uh, he is an expert who uh, is going to bring The entertaining viewpoints as always Dan, you're very welcome to page 180 Thanks for joining me to talk about that man
1: It's absolutely fantastic. I'm really looking forward to this and uh, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to getting in and like kind of seeing what we can bring out of this. So yeah, hopefully, like you said, it's gonna be the first of a few. A lot of stuff I'm very eager to discuss. So we'll see. See how this catches on, yeah.
0: Yeah, we are not stuck for discussion points. Uh, But first, before we get into the movie itself, kind of give me just, again, obviously I know, but just to give the listeners a a background on yourself and your own kind of, you know, Marvel kind of experience. Like, uh, uh, did you start off reading the comics? Did you start off with the movies and then get into the comics? Obviously, look, for anyone who's watching kind of the YouTube, they can see in the background. There is a giant collection, comics, graphic novels, toys, uh, pops, I love it. Amazing, looks incredible. Um, but yeah, like what? What's your kind of background, and and how did we get to to today? Put it that way.
1: Oh yeah, well, like when my background, uh, the comics goes back to when I was four, and I got into, the, you know the superhero movies. Like, uh, Batman '89 was on its way out. I was a big fan of the original Superman movies, and as you probably may remember, our only option for comic books back in the late '80s, early '90s was those large A4 reissues, which I would get my local news agents. And from there, I got into a whole world of comic books, like back in the VHS days, whenever I was into what we call anime nowadays, we just called manga video back in the day. And from there, I just became a massive fan of what people called nerd culture now. And for me, it was just like an alternate culture, I had no name, it was just, it's something that I was always connected to my entire life. Um, As you know, and not many people may know, my first ever job, which was my segue, a very important segue for me into what became a wrestling career, was my first job as I worked in a comic book shop. And I worked there for four years, which uh, is quite famous one on the keys. So if you're familiar with Dublin, you know exactly which one I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, I worked there for four years, uh, which gave me a fantastic, I had a decent understanding of the comic book industry, but once I got in there, um, working with people from the inside of the industry, and then having a library uh, at my disposal every single day, uh, the rule of thumb in the shop was, when you're on your lunch, grab whatever comic's on the shelf, as long as there's at least two and feel free to read it. So every single day I had, for four years, I was fortunate enough to be able to explore everything without worrying about if I was going to buy a good title or not. So from there, like my whole, like my love of comics grew. Massive fan of uh, the 90s style, even though people look back at it quite uh, apprehensively nowadays because it was so hokey, but I love the outlaw comic scene that was popular then. I uh, loved uh, just... Back when it was a kind of really pure thing, and with the MCU being what it is now, it's absolutely fantastic experience to really theory craft where things are going to go. And I suppose back in the day with movies, we always wanted to be as true to the comics as possible. The appeal of the MCU is great because it allows us that theory crafting. And uh, we can go, I wonder what they're going to do with this. We understand the origins, but you know, what can they? What what new concepts can they bring to the table with this? yeah
0: amazing and it is like I always say we've got a phrase in this show that great stories are meant to be shared it's great that I suppose for someone like yourself who has that background and for years like follow this since day dot uh, to see it kind of reach the mainstream culture and to be able to talk about it with pretty much anyone at this stage so it's uh, yeah it's really good that it's got to this stage anyway look we're going to zoom in on Ant-Man Mania, and we will zoom out as well and kind of get into those theories and kind of get your get your uh your expertise involved as well maybe you'll be able to educate us on some lore that that we might not have uh, picked up on if we haven't read the comics and so on. First off, as we always do in the Into the Verse, I'm going to go through uh, what we watched to kind of put us back in the mind frame with my alt recap of Ant-Man Quantum Mania. So here we go. Uh, we return to Scott Lang's life as we see him and Hope are breaking up doing book signings and running philanthropic corporations by bailing Cassie out of jail for her latest activist antics. Uh, then she started banging on at one stage about how the locals in East Wall needed her and Scott just drove her right back to prison for being an absolute melt, end the movie, it was actually a real twist Um, over a family meal we learned that Hank and Cassie had built a portal to the quantum realm and you probably find that strange but to be fair that's fairly textbook Hank Pym that's just what he does uh, for lunch like, what's weirder for me is a really close relationship between Cassie and her dad's girlfriend's parents, is that a thing, like she has so many grandparents if that's the case, but like look more apparent to them, whatever works for them the Langs get sucked into the quantum realm and end up encountering the native of the quantum realm who I suppose we'll call the quantum leapers and dream of one day getting a Scott Lang and Scott Bakula crossover I don't know maybe that's just me anyway but the quantum leapers whoever, are really friendly we have fucking Cheedy, sorry Quaz who can read minds uh, we've got Gzolom who's got a touch of Nazi and wants to torture them at a moment's notice and you've got Veb who is a blobby sex pest whose first line is drink me and is amazed by Scott's h- holes uh, we learned that during her time in the Quantum Realm Janet definitely got the bang off Kang uh, Look, what happens in the Quantum Realm stays in the Quantum Realm Janet, you, you go get yours Oh, and she was also accidentally responsible for giving Kang his powers back and allowing him to conquer the entire realm with MODOK who incredibly turns out to be Darren Cross as his sidekick While Janet informs Hope and Hank of her past with Kang the Conqueror convinces Scott to help him try and get the power cord that will allow him to escape the Quantum Realm in exchange for sparing Cassie's life He gets stuck in a probability field with thousands of replications of himself that all tell him that one thing is coming up because he's in a Marvel movie there is a high probability that a 45 minute battle scene is in his immediate future and sure enough Hope rescues him Kang is pissed and that's exactly what happens Kang's army initially seems too strong for the rebels until Hang shows up being all cool guys don't look at their army advance they murder Kang and they walk away to save the day with an unlikely assist from MODOK who's redeemed himself after Cassie basically told him don't be a dick to die an Avenger. Just as they're heading home though, Kang returns to thwart Scott who needs another assist from Hope. Uh, together they destroy the power core Kang- and Kang with it, which no offence, is kind of like Rhodey beating Thanos one on one, but I suppose we'll get to that as we discuss it. Uh, instead of getting stuck in the quantum realm as a result, which Marvel's focus group shows would have actually been too interesting for us to be able to cope with, uh, Cassie just opens up another door and they're all back home pretty much unscathed after dealing with one of the, the most dangerous Bad guys in Marvel history. Uh, back on Earth, the Lang celebrate one of Cassie's birthdays so that Scott missed while well, Scott is distracted by Kang's warning uh, that something worse was coming. And if you look at the Rotten Tomato ratings for this, uh, that is truly terrifying. Uh, in our post credit scenes, we see thousands of Kangs, the Council of Kang's variants, uh, gathering to defend their multiverse while we also get a clip of Loki and Mobius in the 1920s spying on another Kang variant called Victor Timely. And that was Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. But then, We're going to parse and get into the individual elements and so on as we go on. First off, I just want to get your general thoughts, your general sentiments, your general first impressions coming out of this. Thumbs up, thumbs down, in the middle. How are we feeling? It's very much in the middle. I mean,
1: if you expect anything more than that from the get-go, I do think you'll be solely disappointed. This is not going to be endgame. This is not going to be Civil War. It is what it is. It's a filler. It's a stepstone. Uh, it's a way to introduce, not Kang, but I guess the concepts of Kang and what that can be, which in itself is ridiculously complex. So going into this movie, I expected a very simple, straightforward, bubblegum for the brain style movie. And that's what I got. Yep. So even though my expectations weren't high, I felt like they were mesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... There was a few things with the movie that I thought were very good, a few things with the movie I thought that were quite poor. But all in all, it's exactly what I expected it to be. Uh, I think with comic book movies, you need to look at them as comic book movies and not movies. Uh, Comic books are a very complex literary form. And to follow a story, any story in comics, If um, a great example, the original Civil War comics from uh, the mid-2000s you had to like really do your homework and go across a lot of different books to make sure you weren't missing any of the plot points. Uh, And with with movies, the Marvel movies, that's exactly what these are. You have to be of the understanding that some of them are just going to be a small stepstone in this overarching grander scale of a story. And that's exactly what this was. And for that reason, I just had a really enjoyable uh, morning at the cinema me and my partner Kelly, we, that's what we do. The more the mornings they come out, we both make sure our days are booked off work. We go in and we go to the best screen we can find, and we just go and watch it. And to be honest, with you, I had a blast because I was just expecting what I got.
0: That is a really refreshing and healthy way to approach Marvel movies. That. I don't think a lot of people are capable of because again, so many people have so many, so much wrapped up in Marvel movies and it gets the expectation and the hype gets so big as well that that it's tough for expectations not to rise. But I agree with what you're saying. And and I have very similar kind of vibes myself for me. If you're actually looking at it, it was one of the most uneven Marvel movies that we've got. Uh, There was too much in this that I actually loved, I genuinely loved parts of this movie, and I had a lot of fun in it, uh, to ever consider calling it bad, it is not a bad movie and I cannot see it yeah. that way, I enjoy similar to yourself, I saw it on Friday night, I enjoyed my Friday night, that was good, Um, but other times, there were times where, to me, it also just I was looking forward to an Ant-Man movie I'm like, at the very least, we're getting an Ant-Man movie and that comes with like a high floor because it's fun, it's got that humour in it it's got Paul Rudd, there's certain things where you just can't go wrong with Ant-Man and there were parts that, for me, didn't even feel like Ant Man. Like I really felt like they missed the likes of like Louis, Louis, and stuff like that as well. Um, and there was parts of it where at the start and end, I'm like, "That's Ant Man," and then the middle part, I'm like, it felt a bit like I don't know a Star Wars movie at times, a bit Indiana Jones, where you have the kind of wisecracking hero, uh, kind of in a stri- when Indiana Jones will get weird and he's in a really weird situation. It's like, what the hell's going on? That's what I kind of felt like at times. But again, then they'd bring me back with something that would make me laugh or something that I'd love. So we'll get into the specifics around it. First off, I guess, we'll start off with, we're checking in with the Ant family. Obviously, you have uh, Janet and Hank just kind of settled down, chilling, being grandparents. Uh, You have, like, Hope, who's off, like, kind of running her dad's former corporation. You have Scott, who's living the the adventure celebrity life. Uh, And then you've got Cassie now, who's obviously stepping up in in her goal that I love that we saw from Ant-Man one telegraphed and obviously look that goes back to her kind of young Avengers you know that, that's where she's destined to go um, but she's becoming a superhero now and she's kind of testing the waters there. What were your thoughts uh, on, on the Am family and how they were portrayed here?
1: Well the first thing that it felt like to me straight off the bat was uh, it felt like the star of the movie for a lot of it was actually Michelle Pfeiffer's uh, Janet Pym's character yeah, uh, which I thought was actually one of the Honestly, stronger points in the movie. One of the parts of the movie that I enjoyed the most, like uh her flashback to Kang. I, I thought like the way that was done was interesting. I thought uh he had that villain moment when she realized who and what he was, what he was capable of. And I think that was the strongest part of the
0: movie. That's one of the things that I really enjoyed. Uh what's the line? Win. Oh, that got me. That line yeah. got me. What are you gonna do? Win and then he's just like deadpan. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, because
0: like Kang's
1: an unusual character, and um, because he's like, we're looking like he's gonna be the new big bag of the of the next uh phase five and phase, five, phase six we're on now. That's the one thing I'm always dropping the ball on what phase we're in because it gets so convoluted, but then yeah. again, so the Kang story is perfect because he's uh, he's one of the most convoluted characters out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've got a lot of like cleaning up to do, and uh, when they introduced he who remains, but never referred to him as Kang, yeah. it was a great way of setting some groundwork, and that moment it was it it felt like it's gonna be a weird thing to make, but he felt like a kind of almost a hokey dark Vader sometimes, and I think that was his Anakin moments uh when we realized that here is someone who should be a wholesome person but he's completely flawed he's very manipulative and stuff like that uh i write that was probably one of my favorite parts of the entire movie the interactions between uh janet and kang uh and it, it felt like her movie uh in the same way that i guess if like you want to make a parallel with mad max fury road felt like the furiosa movie uh, the leading character was almost a sport character, and that's kind of where I felt it, it was with uh, with this chapter of the Ant-Man story in the Marvel Universe as a whole. It was very much Michelle Pfeiffer centric which I have no mm. problem with.
0: Yeah. yeah, great to see her back as well, like in such a high-profile role. So yeah, I agree with that. There were parts of it, though, that I did have issues with when it came to the Ant family. Like, there were certain times where... And this, I think, plays into the fact that sometimes it just didn't feel like Ant-Man, where they just didn't talk like their characters. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was a couple of moments where, like, what was it that Scott said? And I appreciate that when Scott is the, the big version of Ant-Man, that he's, his brain doesn't kind of function fully. So I can kind of explain it away in my head. But, like, he sat out in a kang, he's like, our word is our bond. Without that, we're nothing. And I'm like... That's not a Scott Lang thing. He's not, like, an honorable dude. He's a thief. He's a burglar. And then, like, you had, like, Hank at one stage turn around where it's like, you read my book, and Hank's like, now, okay, I have to separate these two things because, like, the line delivery was textbook Michael Douglas and brilliant, you know what I mean? But, like, the, the 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 dialogue itself was just Hank would never say that. Where he's like every goddamn page, Hank would never even if he yes. loved Scott, he would never give him that. You know what I mean? He'd never give him that acknowledgement. That that's just not their relationship. So there were times where it didn't feel. I liked Cassie, and I know that like a lot of people didn't. I'm hearing kind of reviews where people thought she was vanilla, generic. I thought she was really good. I thought she she carried it quite well. Um it's tough in these roles, she's not getting the rampway of say, uh, Florence Pugh or Kate Bishop to kind of um, establish herself as likeable as it is, but I thought she made the most out of what she did and I kind of want to see more of her, Um, but again like, kind of my main problem, I'd agree with you on everything you said about Michelle Pfeiffer, I thought she was a breath of fresh air hope was just non-existent and then like there were times where it's like oh we're not doing much with with Evangeline, we better do something and then it's like let's have her save the day at the end and then that, that was it, she was just kind of in it um but yeah that, I, it's so kind of mixed reviews but i'd agree with michelle pfeiffer yeah of the ant family definitely the star the quantum realm was introduced here um and kind of normalized a little bit from the, the the glimpses we've had in previous kind of ant-man movies and so on um in that it just turns out to be like just a kind of normal enough place obviously with weird characters there was some wins here Um, there was some funny characters for me I do think that we need a conduit because especially at the start, like I like when we see like, for example, Avengers end game or infinity war where we see characters go to space and stuff like that. You do need a conduit. Like uh, for example, r- when they're got an end game, when they're going to space and rocket is like, who here has been to space? And like, you, you know, you have Captain America and, and Scarlet Witch is being like, oh, I don't know. But like our Scarlett Johansson, sorry, being like, I don't know. Um, and and again, you do need someone to bring them into that. Whereas, kind of, I thought I I I, I wasn't mad about like um, the Anne family just going there, just chilling like it's normal. Do you know what I mean? There was there there wasn't that yeah. marriage there. It just felt a bit random at times where they're just kind of chilling in the scene. They're like, let's have a walk around, and it's like, no, you're in a different dimension. The scene,
1: yeah, the scene where Hank Pym like you know starts analysing it that it changes everything about. I think what did he say? That it evolution and. How we perceive the universe, and then you've like that would have been a great line to give a lot more exposition, but it, it was basically just to deliver a joke about the broccoli-headed character. Um, which I, I don't know, I I might I, I don't know if everyone's gonna read this, but I just felt a lot, a lot of the humor in the movie didn't land. Mm-hmm. I felt like they are being trying to be very tall Ragnarok, and whereas that time I think could be used a lot better to maybe do a bit more universe building. Uh, because you do have this uh, like pretty intense quality realm, and on, on a large screen, like the whole thing did feel very Star Wars to me. But it felt like what Jim Morrison would have experienced if he watched Star Wars, like, you know, into his 17th acid binge.
0: <laughs> um,
1: so it, it really was. There, was. there was some very like Star Wars the elements, but it was an acid trip. It was, but there were some bits that were safe. There was a lot of stuff in the Quantum Worm that I did like. Uh, There was definitely a lot of nods to the Kirby-esque design, uh, which obviously you know you can't do an Avengers storyline and not have some reference to Jack Kirby's very unique take on world building. Uh, This really unusual design he has, where everything's either perfectly circular or at at a direct right angle, and the buildings and the kind of geometry and the architecture of the quantum world was i think very well represented but like you said we just did we didn't get that uh that narrative that we needed mm-hmm. to develop it further because i think going forward to quantum realm it, it's going to become in the next couple of movies and the next couple of tv shows it's going to be something that could have its mythology is going to be important uh we already explored this in End in, in game when they first started kind of uh experimented the time travel sort of thing, which you know, time travel and Kang go hand in hand, and that's where he was banished. Uh the quantum realm seems to have a major catalyst playing into the science or science fiction of how time travel works in the Marvel universe. So that's obviously why Kang was exiled there. So I did want to see more universe building. We didn't get it. All the universe building kind of came towards joke. Uh I I don't know if that's the way you felt about it as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I, I think. Like, there was a lot of things where there were times where it felt like a kid's move. Like, again, a lot of the universe building felt like they were being silly. Like, you know, Hank driving and he's like, oh, I'll drive and then he puts his hands into the kind of thing. And it's like, that's kind of kid stuff. And it's like, again, yeah, th- this is important. And this is going to become important because we know the roadmap you spelled out. We know what's coming. You know what I mean? Especially if you know the lore behind it, which you know better than I would. So again, it matters and it, it shouldn't be just kind of thrown away for a joke. And I'm going to say that, and then I'm going to skip to something about the quantum realm, which I really liked. There was also play for laughs, but I thought this worked. Again, splitting opinion, but Modoc and choosing to have him <laughs> as Darren Cross and Yellow yeah. Jacket. For yes. me, that was a win of this movie, and I I will always look back on this as. It reminds me of um, Shang Chi. I'm forget. I'm-, I'm blanking now. Ben Kingston's character. The name has just escaped me now. But when they had him show up in Shang Chi, and you're like, "What the fuck?" But yeah. Marvel do these ty- kind of type of tie in cameos really well. MODOK obviously, it's a very harsh, re- not like it's a very harsh left turn for MODOK because he is an iconic character in his own way. Having obviously like as someone who'd know the lore behind it. What did you think of this move to make him into Darren Cross and kind of tie him directly to the Ant-Man franchise?
1: I didn't see it coming because I try and avoid uh, spoilers as much as I can. Uh, I saw the action figure and the Funko designs of MODOK, and I liked it because um, MODOK in the comics was a very uncomfortable design. And I think that's what they're originally going for. He had his weird bowl cut, which was the only thing about the design that I was a little bit disappointed didn't like show up somehow. I would have liked uh, I would have liked that. But uh, obviously they went in a completely different direction, which is what has become the norm in the, in the Marvel Universe that MODOK was originally an engineer. The character's name escapes him, but he was a, an engineer from AIM. Yeah. Uh, but the way they explained it, I think, they kind of reverse engineered it they look at how uh darian died how yellow jacket was like killed off in the first atman movie and just the way his head was like still normal size you could see like his arms and his legs shrinking Mm -hmm. and i think it's someone just had a smart idea i like the design of modok uh i like the zaniness because even though my first introduction was in i think it was the iron man cartoon uh, the one in the 90s that kind of wrote off the popularity of the X-Men cartoon. I think MODOK was in that. Uh, and I remember thinking he was just such a silly character, but then reading the comics then a few years later, realising his name, which he couldn't put into the cartoons, was an acronym for motorised, I think it was originally motorised automaton designed only for killing, and that's motorised organism or mechanical organism designed only for killing. He's gone through several different African acronyms of what MODOK stands for, which I loved that Scott made a reference to that it should be MODOK. <laughs> yes, because that always annoyed me as a kid <laughs> um but like you had this uh, character who when i started reading comics there was an unease about him and the fact that they established that as well in the movie but making it comical especially yeah. showing off modok's ass which is something i never thought i needed to see <laughs> but i was very pleasantly surprised that i did <laughs> and it gave the character a new dimension that i uh I am. I'm shocked, disgusted, and entertained by uh, at the <laughs> highest level one can be. Uh, I I like the most. Inter. I w- I wanted to see Modoc. I think he was. He's a silly character. He is. He's one of those characters that sits into the zany side of comic books that I think people are very afraid to go after nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they nice they hit a nice blend of comedy with him, but then showing how powerful he actually was with his weaponry. Uh, was a nice little touch. You have the zaniness and then you have the actual threat
0: I like as well, I, like just some of the best lines. Like <laughs> when he got when he's dying, he just went down with like a hero. One of the best Marvel deaths we have ever seen, like touching Scott's face and being like you are like a brother to me. And it's like they barely interact, <laughs> like, they don't know each other. <laughs> they were the only
1: line of jokes in the movie that genuinely gave me a chuckle, especially <laughs> yeah. the Avengers line. I, died died in Avenger. Avengers.
0: <laughs> and I
1: just I I, I turned sure. to Kelly and I was like brilliant that's that's awesome
0: yeah scott's reaction is amazing like, sure you're in <laughs> it's like, okay <laughs> amazing yeah. amazing he killed loved it loved it such a such a win another big win and i guess this is the takeaway of the movie and, and kind of the movie essentially sacrifice and again like what made Modoc work for me thank god it kind of make him makes amends for not having the likes of louis in here um and and a lot of the kind of periphery characters that we look forward to in Ant-Man movies. Um, but it was a table setter for to essentially properly introduce Kang. And Kang the Conqueror as well. So kind of, um, and and you and you could probably give more info on this, but this is the Kang. This is the guy, and then like everyone else in kind of the Council of Kangs and all kind of circles around this. But this is the Kang and the dangerous one, and and also allow Jonathan Majors to fully. Obviously, he had He Who Remains, but. Again, that was, a, he never went by Kang and that would, you know, he only adjacently referred to uh, uh, having other names. He never even called himself Kang. So it was a very different character portrayal. And now this is a more Kang level. This is what Kang is going to look like, you know, in some derivation, even when he's just variants. Um, I thought it was an amazing performance. I thought this was an absolute yeah. win. Um I thought John the Majors was a highlight of this movie. And again, this is one of the reasons why I can never dislike this movie. And I think this movie will be important because there's certain Marvel movies that aren't like, you know, that aren't great, but like you had a good time, but you probably never watch again unless you absolutely have to, you yeah. know, this will be a movie where I'll happily go back to this and it's important that we won't forget about like Ant-Man and the Wasp. You know what I mean? The, the, the last Ant-Man movie, I, there's no need to go back to that unless you're kind of what, because you'd watch the original, which is just a better version of the same movie. Um, But this movie is important and probably needs you to go back to it a few times. And it's because of Kang. How do you feel? They kind of stuck the land here. And also as well, I want to get your thoughts on how he went out because I I did not expect Kang to die in this movie. Uh, And especially when I saw Kang the Conqueror, I'm like, there's a compromise here. Maybe he's getting stuck in the quantum realm. I didn't expect him to die. Um, So I want to get your thoughts on on all of it. Yeah. I think, first of all, with
1: the death, I think there's a lot of ways they could go. Um, Because he did get sucked into the core and we could see obviously that it it generates that uh, realm of probability that they explored. So... Could this power him up? We've seen the same thing happen to Yellow Jacket, and then he turned out to be MODOK. Uh, could something similar happen to Kang the Conqueror? Because that's the thing. We have to remember how many Kangs there are going to be. I mean, we, we saw in the uh, post-credit scene the Council of Kangs, and it really hit home with the fan service on that for me yeah. because we got to see um, a lot of the Kang variants or... Well, there was a different name referred to in the comics, but just the alternate Kang's dad played a pivotal role because, like I said, it started as Kang is an incredibly convoluted, complex character. But the reason he's convoluted and complex, you have to admit, as a fan of the comics, it's not because he was written that way. It's because, I mean, he's the poster child for retroactive continuity because... The fans can't even agree on when his first appearance in the comics is. Realistically, uh, you've got uh, uh, Amand, uh not Amon raw, uh, tosh whatever it is. Ramatosh from yeah, Fantastic yeah. Four, uh, which then like 200 issues later, you found out that that was was Kang's first appearance, but then his Avengers number eight was his actual appearance. Um, but he's a great storytelling mechanic. Uh, Kang, because there's been so many different, uh, oh my god, moments over the years when you realize, uh, first of all, he's obviously got his uh lineage to the Fantastic Four, uh, the reveal of like Iron Lad as a Kang variant and stuff like that, but the good Kang variant, which is probably what they were trying to do with uh, He Who Remains being saying he was the good, he's the best version of them. Um, because I'm not sure if they if they have any plans or if they could really introduce Iron Lad into the MCU, especially with a name like that. <laughs> it won't go over with the Irish audience anyway. Jesus Christ! They we need love to it. Do a of market research there. Come <laughs> to see Iron Iron Lad lads. It's like,
0: we'll give you an like Iron your, Lad. Like your hey.
1: There's somewhere down, like on one of the back streets, of temple bar showing it apparently. <laughs> but uh,
0: they were always showing an Iron Lad on a Friday night. So
1: I, I, they're up to Iron Lad seventeen. At, at
0: the,
1: <laughs> uh, Sixteen
0: wasn't that good. Know, but
1: uh, no, like it, Kang's interesting, and they could go a lot of places with it. And obviously, with, we know the, new, the the Avengers movie that is obviously going to be it, it's going to be following the system we got with Infinity War and Endgame. It's going to be one big movie split into two. Uh, The Kang Dynasty is like, what are they doing with this now that we have had Kang the Conqueror, as he's been referred to in the movie, essentially from what it seems like being killed off. Uh, By Ant-Man and the
0: Wasp, like, come on.
1: Yeah, it was a weird one. Um, They were trying to do something that they missed the the boat on, which was, once again, it was because a lot of the story is rushed. But you had Hank give this very quick delivery. Uh, about how his ants had evolved a thousand years and then an army of these highly evolved characters attack Kang and he gets away with it he he gets away to go one-on-one now Kang's power comes from his suit solely he doesn't really have well in the comic books anyway he doesn't have any like superpowers he is a dude in a suit but the suit is if you want to go into power levels you're talking like post asgardian technology, you know, because he has defeated uh like Thor level Omega level threats in the comics with nothing but his technology. So it's like what Thor described uh magic technology being in the first Thor movie that they're one and the same when they get to a certain level. Uh that's kind of the level of power that Kang's at. We should have seen Kang standing toe-to-toe against an army of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of evolved intelligent ants to show his power and his ruthlessness because, let's face it, the ants are cute in the Yatman movies. So you miss an opportunity here. Kang could have, like, vaporized them all ruthlessly, shown his power, which would explain his battle damage, and the fact that, basically, he did have a physical threat in the movie because his, his suit was rendered relatively useless. But we didn't have that... That like connection between the bit where he's taken off by the answer, the bit where he started fighting Scott, which is why I completely understand why the casual fans uh, and people who are just coming into this and trying to be like really like the- like uh look into the background of this character they're very confused as to how Ant Man could defeat a-, a character as powerful as
0: as Kang. Yeah, when you look at like kind of comparatively when you look at Thanos and that's what they're looking to build up the next Thanos level villain and again I get, I get it they have the Council of Kang they there's thousands of people there but he can't lose every movie as well and when you look at the power scale that they established with Thanos in one scene the start of Infinity War you know what I mean it's just like Hulk nothing Um, it's like Thor nothing Thor plus the Hulk nothing and then Loki just like that not a bother on him just for like just to see his expression change you just can wipe out loki you know what i mean so um that is like that power scaling is something we haven't seen with Kang yet, and I would have loved to see it. I thought there were there's a moment in it where he's fighting them before the ants kind of overwhelmed them, where they couldn't lay a glove on him. And I'm like, Yes, yes, this is it. And then it's like, yeah. Oh, death by ant seconds later, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, come on, and I got it. It was I know obviously they didn't kill him, and he probably will be back in some form. Um, but yeah, he needs to start getting some W's. One thing I wanted to, one little thing I wanted to kind of pick your brain on though he did at one stage when Scott is like, look, I'm an Avenger and he's kind of had that moment of recognition. He's like, have I killed you before? Were you the one with the hammer? Mm -hmm. When you look at where Thor is right now and you look at trying to establish Kang as a thread, do you think that may be something that we look back as, oh, they actually foreshadowed something there? Or do you think that is just kind of like, oh yeah, he can kill Thor. He's a badass.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, I think obviously when they, like, obviously, there's a few different versions of Kang in the comics, and that's obviously what we have to work with now, considering this character in the MCUs and its relative in- infancy. Uh, we did at the end get to see a character who the fans are pretty much could say, okay, that's Amortis, which yeah. is the f- final boss tier form of Kang. So he's the guy who's lived through so many different lives that he has kind of done everything, but at the same time, in the movies, he seemed more like a henchman, like he's part of this. Uh, I mean, Kang's a dictator, but then he seems to be in this, like, kind of pseudo-democracy with these other Kangs. Uh, so there's there's a bit of confusion there as well. But this Kang had some of Mortis's traits as well, like the fact that he seems to have lived so many lifetimes that he has forgotten some stuff. And obviously, being that this is the guy that they're saying began the multiversal war, that's what it's kind like, like. All the fans are thinking there that he, like, he remains ended the multiversal war, but kind of Conqueror that we, that we got to meet in the Quantum He's the guy who started it, or he is maybe at least a war criminal of the multiversal war. That he's become so powerful that yeah, his he doesn't. Even remember who he was. Like he remains said he lived millions of lifetimes, but has this Kang done something similar at least to that? And in doing so, you know how is he going to chalk up how many debts he has, how many notches he has on his gun? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that we could. I just we have more opportunities to see how powerful he is here, and they
0: kind of shit the bed on that. Yeah, really. Well, fortunately, uh, I think John Major's did well enough for the character that we don't care because we want to see more John Major. So we're like, yeah, yeah, I'll forget that you lost because you're just really entertaining. So you know yeah. I think they'll get us back. I don't think it's that terminal terminal there. Um is there any theories you wanted to kind of uh you know I'm getting into theorizing there when I'm going for a shadow and killing and tour. Anything kind of coming at you or or anything you want to kind of expand on? There's little things. Uh I felt that
1: like, like everyone kind of felt when they're in the cinema is that like, you know, he was killed off quite easily. And the thing I'm I'm thinking about this is were we just supposed to see a snippet of his power? Like, is Kang the conqueror? Is his story done? And now that we're, we know that the end goal here is the Kang Dynasty. Uh are we gonna see the other variants pop up? Uh like you know like that this character is essentially done we're going to see something else happen or are we going to see some sort of because like I said earlier we go with Marvel Cinematic Universe we're going in different directions to where the comics went which is nowadays it's a refreshing kind of change of pace so are we going to see uh, a kind of a new direction taken with Kang are they gonna the council kind of just eradicated themselves in the comics and the Kang Dynasty storyline in the comic, uh, it's it's not going to be epic enough for what they want to do in the movies because he basically just fucked up Europe and that's about it. Hmm. So are we going to see like the maybe like some sort of like a combination of like a new a Kang, like a Kang. There is a Kang, a Kang Prime in the comics but like an Omega Kang, like is he going to achieve a near level godhoodness because what they have established in the comics with how far advanced he is. And also he's someone who's lived a million lifestyles should be like a master of, of all forms of combat, which we, we got a small glimpse of when his, uh, his costume was rendered useless, his, his armor, but we could have gotten like the villain monologue from him to say, I'm not just my trinkets. I'm not just my technology. And That was a you you called uh, that back to the Star Infinity War when we saw Thanos go toe to toe with Hulk, and in the cinema I remember that was a big wow moment for a lot Mm -hmm. of the people that were like in the in the screen. Even for myself, I thought that was a fantastic way of establishing Thanos not only as military genius and this uh, universe-ending trash, but he could like you know throw down with someone like the Hulk. That was.
0: One of us And again, mord. his henchmen just didn't stop him. That's what I loved yeah. about it. They're just like, no, leave him. He's having fun. And it's yeah. like, they're not the least bit worried. They're like, no, he's... Even when Hulk seems to be, like, kind of getting a little bit of a head, headway, it's just like, nah, just leave him. It was amazing. Uh, yeah. scale. And if if they're done with Kang the Conqueror, the Quantum Media Kang, and they want to
1: move on to some of the different iterations that have hit different uh, variants of Kang in the movie uh, with some... When, I'd I'd like if they went in a different direction to what they have in the comics. Uh but if you're going to first and we see start seeing these different variants pop up, then if we've just seen a snippet of his power and we've been given like that exposition to understand who he is, what he's capable of, but if the next version comes along, if he's like, you know, the next tier up on the power scale. Then I'd be okay with this guy basically being the madman he was because the council that we saw at the end seemed a little bit more focused. Mm. Uh, so that's where I, it's not really a theory as much. Not it's something I'd like to see. One thing that I found interesting with the design, which is one thing I always go to with characters because, as you know, like design for me is just always a massive thing. Mm-hmm. What I've done in the past is that I was very captivated with uh, how he got such hokey outfit to work on the big screen because, let's face it, Kang has a disastrous outfit. It's just terrible. But it looked pretty cool in the movie and the addition of the scars to explain the lines on his face was interesting and when his helmet activated and you had this scarring light up on his face and the fact that like uh, the cyberpunk aesthetic is so popular now is like, you know, is he the sort of person who has put parts of his armor like, you know, under his skin, are these scars self inflicted? Does that explain why his eyes lit up and stuff like that? Like so there's little things here. I'd like to see him more ruthless in it to him. And I think uh doing like a surgery on yourself and like cutting chunks out of your own face to put like some implants to control your suit, which would explain his the power level he had in the cells when he was uh interacting with Scott. Stuff like that I'd like to see explored. But We have a lot of movies between now and the Kang Dynasty and, of course, then leading into Secret Wars, but uh, I think he's going to become more, even though we have a Fantastic Four movie coming, I think he's become more of a Victor Von Dune character as opposed to the Kang we've seen in the comics because they took a completely different path with Thanos. Like, if you've read like, uh, the early Thanos stuff can be completely disregarded, but if you go straight to the Infinity Gauntlet, Thanos is a nihilist. He wants, he His actual story, which is very on the nose and very metaphorical, is he destroys uh, half of the universe to prove to the embodiment of death how powerful he is. Uh, He's a very much moustache twirling villain. He's always cackling and laughing, but the way Josh Brolin portrayed him was not the Thanos from the comics. But at the same time, it was a massive breath of fresh air. He's a very methodical, uh, very goal focused character uh and someone as hokey as Kang, I th- I would like to see receive the same treatment as Thanos did. Yeah. Uh so that's something I'm looking forward to seeing what, what the goal for this guy is. They could drop the ball because they got it so good with Thanos. Uh yeah, are they putting too much pressure on themselves, which is something as creatives we and as us as fans need to ask. Uh with Marvel having a lot of swings recently and more misses than hits, are they going to be able to and Give us the villain that can you know topple the Thanos level trash because that's whatever it's going to compare them to.
0: Hmm. I think it's uh, I think it's interesting. I think we will see the Conqueror back and we may also see variants of them and so on and so forth. What I think is going to happen is because with the Council of Kangs, they established success thousands out there. We don't have thousands of movies to get through. You know what I mean? And you do kind of have to take them one at a time. I think there'll be an element and they'll have to be like around the Kang dynasty where there's the, vo- the void and conquer element. So like, you know, wh- when the Council of Kangs were speaking in the first post-credit scene, they spoke of the Conqueror and so did He Who Remains as almost like a nuisance. You know he causes trouble. It's actually better off that he's died. It it actually furthers their goals. So I feel like him coming back could cause a problem for that. I feel like having the likes of himself, and I think we will see Iron Lad because you do need to have someone in the mix who's going to kind of blow shit up, you know what I mean? To kind of just play the numbers game, you know what I mean? They are, the the Avengers, no matter how much they can gather, uh, young, old, legacy, whatever, different multiverse variants, uh, they are outnumbered here. So there does need to be an element of um, insipidness within the Accountants of the Kang, so I think the Conqueror Iron Lads they could be sparks that kind of uh, ignite that flame, uh, but we'll see. Look, there, they we're very far off, and it's it's at the stage where it's yeah. very difficult to theorize because we're only at the, the start of this. Um, look, I think a lot of t- uh, you know whenever Marvel comes up, a lot of people like feel obligated to have a, a state of Marvel discussion. I don't think and I think kind of your attitude is healthy towards it where it's like look it is what it is it's a comic book movie let's not kind of take it too seriously and I don't think we need to have that discussion because I don't think that's necessarily a productive discussion to have all the time and we want to enjoy it but one thing I do want to get your perspective on as we wrap up is I want to get your perspective on where this movie lands for you Uh, so far and again these rankings can go up and down you know what I mean however you want to contextualize it you know alongside other Ant-Mans in kind of phase 4 or 5 post End Game or the MCU of Overall, where is this kind of sitting for you?
1: It's sitting kind of, I mean, if you want to rank everything into a solid one to 10 thing, it, it's sitting close to the fives. So uh, it is obviously one of the weaker ones, uh, but I'm looking forward to watching again. I've watched every Marvel movie a few times over. Uh, it's, it's become like for me and a lot of people I speak to, it's become a comfort thing. So it's very easy just to throw one on in the background yeah on your day off or while you're doing something else. But I will sit back down and watch this again um, to really kind of just just take it in because you know yourself when you are looking forward. And I really do look forward to Marvel movies regardless of how excited I am or not going into them. Uh, you do have that kind of, or here we go, excitement and the adrenaline can almost like uh, rob you of the the attention you can pay to it. You know, you're, you're. it's very much, it feels like you're on a roller coaster the first time you see these things. And the second viewing is where it really comes into play. I won't be going back to the cinema to see it, mm. uh, whereas some other ones I have. Um, but it's going to be one of the ones that is going to be a pretty easy skip. However, a lot of people said that about Age of Ultron, and now looking back, that's become one of the more important ones. And the more yeah. you watch it now, with what we've had over the last uh since like I guess 2019 it's given more breath to that movie. I do think Ant Man Was is gonna become this. So as it sits now, I think it's weaker. I think it's gonna become a more important watch as we see more of the movies come true. And I think there's stuff we ha- haven't seen there yet that might be retconned. Uh but there's there's stuff we're gonna kind of pick up on as the as the next few series of movies and the the, the television series come out. Um but I know I I do have high hopes for Kang. Uh he's not he wouldn't be one of my favorite characters. I I we were all talking me and my mates about how, who we thought the big bad was going to be. And I think the first uh saga of of the MCU has suffered from maybe burning through too many characters too quickly because Ultron was a massive missed opportunity. Uh, and they can't even go back and redo it now because what they've touched on with What If was uh, Multiversal uh, Ultron Prime and then the Ultron bots in uh Multiversal Madness. That, that character has, has done what they're supposed to do. Uh, even though he's popped back up in the comics, I think, that, I think that's it done. So mm. I have high hopes and I'll be very interested to explore this movie again in two years time when we
0: have more behind it as well. I, lo- I love the Age of Ultron comparison That's, that that really resonates for me I have it around same, similar to you I have it like so I'll always rank I love having letterbox lists and stuff like that as well so I have it 21st on my uh, MCU list I have it behind Captain Marvel between Captain Marvel and Black Widow so like look not bad I, lo- I like those movies I ha- in terms of like phase 4 and 5 I have it ahead of Multiverse of Madness Eternals and Wakanda Forever but I have it behind No Way Home Shang-Chi and Love and Thunder I know the last one might uh, rankle some people Because that tends to be very up or down For certain people Anyway look I I think now we're getting into a stage Where we begin looking forward to the next movie But I feel that since it's a Guardians movie I feel kind of safe that we can Yes and James Gunn, you know, going out with a bang. He's either actually going to want to, like, you know, have the best movie ever, or he's going to completely sabotage the MCU now because mm-hmm. he's running DC. Yep. So we'll see. But either way, it's going to be interesting. We're going to have a lot to talk about. And Dan, I can't wait to talk about it with you. Thank you very much for joining me today on Page 180. X and stuff. And uh, yeah, like I said, we're just beginning the Dan Lynden verse here. Um, so I can't wait oh, to see. We're coming in a very dark rabbit hole, ladies. <laughs> gentlemen. Wait, you see his variants. Wait, you see. I've seen uh, a few of them. <laughs> that's a good one. that's all the time we have for this week's show next week we'll be catching up with The Last of Us as it it hits the home stretch after another absolutely heart-wrenching episode, Uh, I'll be chatting about the new F1 season with Corporate Keen, plus we'll have reviews of Broker, We Have a Ghost and One I've Been Dying for Percy, Cocaine Bear in the meantime, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to our socials on Twitter TikTok, Instagram and YouTube at Page180Pod, but until then, this has been Page180 and I have Pose!